Hello everyone, I am Joy Crooks and I've been hanging out with Rob from Front Row Live and you can get all the tea right here. What's up guys, Rob here, Front Row Live Entertainment. I'm finally hanging out here with Joy Crooks and I've been a fan of your music for some time. I love your voice, I love how open you are in your lyrics. Um, I want to dive in and talk about this uh, debut album because there's so much vulnerability in this record. And for being a debut album, I feel like that's such a scary thing to do as an artist. Um, coming into the initial writing process of this debut album, did you know that you were writing it? Or is it something that kind of developed as you were in the studio or just writing music down? Uh, I think you just spend like all of your, the beginning of your life writing your first album. So I knew that it was going to lead towards an album. But um, when I started crying all the time, I knew I needed to make an album. And that's not because I needed to put all the tears in the album. I just needed to put my energy into something. And I've always been attracted to bodies of work. So I was like, okay, I need a body of work right now. And that's kind of how Skin came about. Yeah. And, you know, take me into that, that writing process. Because, like, usually there's a particular sound or a particular lyric that kind of kickstarts this entire process. Mm. What was that? What was it that kickstarted for you, aside from the tears? Generational trauma, casual sex, mental health issues, and uh, pints in the park with my, my, with my mates. <laughs> They're usually like good starters. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and storytelling and, um, and feeling the need to, uh, I guess, immortalize memories mm. are good ingredients to start a song. <laughs> <laughs> And as far as your songwriting, just because like I love the way that you kind of take us into this world, take us into this story, um, how did you learn to write the way that you do? Is this something that you've always just known how to do, or is this something that you kind of learn from collaborating with producers or, or even just like as simple as reading books? I think that I'm a huge music student. Like I, uh, I've never studied music, but I feel like I've studied music by having a very extensive um I guess, catalogue of music that I'm into. You know, I've always listened to things that maybe even made me feel uh, uncomfortable and, and maybe I wouldn't play outside. Um, or, you know, I wouldn't wind down my windows and let people know I was listening to it. <laughs> but I try to listen to everything and try to get my hands on everything. And like, I used to buy loads of CDs. I'm like a big CD collector and stuff. So I always try to like um, teach myself as much as I could on music um, without any kind of like formal... Uh, education um, and then I got to I've, you know I write with incredible songwriters who I take notes from and learn from literally on like a weekly basis so um, I really just studied the art of songwriting um, but I don't know if that was a conscious decision I think it was just something that I felt really attracted to and I love rappers as well because I think they're some of the best songwriters in the world and I often even before I've actually listened to albums I'll go in for, like for someone like Kendrick I will like r read his album before I listen to it That's interesting. like Mother I Sober I read before I listened to it and do you feel like that changed do you feel like that helped you kind of create that story or do you feel like it made you think of it differently just because you came into it in a different kind of way I don't know. I don't know why I do that. I just think that lyrics are so important to me and understanding the journey of a song and seeing where there's repetition, seeing where uh, flow changes and, and, and assuming flow in places and then being wrong. I think it's, it's like I set myself up for a first impression um, because it's like, I don't know, it's kind of psychological for me. It, I don't know why I do it. I don't know my conscious reasoning of like why I, I do that, but 
it's just something I do, especially with rappers, because I think that it can get lost with flow. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Obviously, the more you listen to it, the more you understand. Right. But like Kendrick Lamar is so extensive um, and articulate and complex in his work that sometimes I need to break it down for myself before I delve into the musicality. I think that he has so much to say that, and then the music has so much to say that I almost need to compartmentalize the um, the, the digestion of, of his music because he's like probably one of my favorite artists in the world. Yeah. When you do something like that, like does it? How does that inspire you when it comes down to your writing? Do you find yourself doing the same thing before you go into the vocal the vocal booth to record vocals? Like do you do you find yourself kind of like skimming through your lyrics or reading through your lyrics? I had the um, I'm not a name dropper, but I had an incredible experience this year where I got to work with No ID, and he talked about the bullseye, yeah. and. Um, and this is another thing that I learn a lot. Like I learn so much about music and songwriting through speaking about it. So when I work with the greats or anyone that I consider one of the greats, I really just ask so many questions. I'm, um, a, I, I pride myself on being a student, uh, hence why my first EP was called Influence because I resigned to the fact that there was any any possibility that I'd come up with it myself. I knew that I was inevitably influenced by my favorites. So when he spoke about The Bullseye and working with Kanye and 808s and Heartbreak, which is my favorite record like of Kanye's and is the reason why I started producing, he spoke about how there's always a bullseye. When you write, there has to be a bullseye. There has to be, when there's a body of work, you need to know what you're aiming for so that everything can kind of come together. And that's what I try and have when I write songs, even to the most, you know, songs are meticulous and they are part of a wider picture. But if I know exactly what I'm trying to say, the musicality, the lyrics, everything leads towards that way because I know the direction I'm going in. So I always try and make sure I know what I'm about to say. And, and that's not necessarily dictated by lyrics. Sometimes I allow myself to feel through the music and I, and I, um, I kind of I freestyle and see what subconsciously comes out and then work towards that. In that same sense, I feel like you really nailed the bullseye with your vocals your songwriting, the vulnerability of your songwriting, as well as the strings throughout this album. Oh, uh, I feel like that was such an incredible, um, like, I guess, collaboration in a sense, like um, marinating all of these elements into this album skin. Um, was this something that was like trial and error in the studio? Or is that something that you came into the session? Like, this is what I want the sound to be like. And, and that's what you guys went with. Yeah, I think there was a lot of direction, even though for the most part I wasn't sure what was happening. I think it's like the perfect balance between allowing things to flow and then um, being a shepherd is how I, I got the sound of the album. Um, and, and allowing collaboration, allowing people to um, come forth and, and bring their tools and, and bring their, and their talents. But um, when I didn't like something, I made it very clear. Yeah. Um, but it's knowing, you know, my thing is if I say I don't like something, I need to be able to back it up with what I do like. And with my research and my education and understanding I am a student of music, I'll try and always provide a solution when I say I don't like something. Because it's really easy to say what you don't like. I think it's more abstract to know what you do like and why, why. And why you like that. Yeah. Um, and I think solutions are really important because you are in, you, you are generally under deadlines. You are generally... Um, going for a lot of thing in, things in your brain. You want to sound like your favorite artist, but you're not your favorite artist. And you're really trying to carve out your own sound. So that it's a, you know, it's a trial and error for sure. But again, we don't lose the bullseye. 
why blue may why did you reach out to him uh on dm and like tell him to come over so you guys could like start working on this album like what was it about the way that he produces or the way that he just creates music that really drew your attention kano is a storyteller and i felt like the uh he was housed in in fantastic interior great architecture and a great structural engineer and i needed someone to house my work and although i'm not a rapper i uh, really really i was so um enamored by the the sonics and the lyricism and everything about kano and so it was hard to explain obviously to a label because they're like what do you mean you've gone for like a british caribbean rapper producer um or rapper's producer and uh i don't know it just it felt right and whenever i played him any of my demos he had all the same references as me he had uh he understood what i was going for you know what was that chemistry like when you guys uh, were you guys physically in the studio together yeah. um so what was that chemistry like that first moment that you started uh either writing together or recording music like um how did he help you step out of your comfort zone even though it feels like you really did a lot on this record like you really opened up to your audience so i was also i was also co-executive producer mm-hmm. um he told me to stop thinking and that and the overthinking was his job and the feeling was my job that was literally wow. those those were his words wow yeah and I love leadership and I love people knowing where they're, where to take position and where, from, where I need to take the back seat and where I need to be forthcoming. And he made those parameters really clear. How did you go about um, figuring out like those cadences and pockets um, during every single track? Just because you, again, this album takes us into this world of music and at the same time, this, this is one body of work and it's very cohesive. So kind of figuring out where your pockets were gonna go with your lyrics and like what kind of cadences you were gonna, uh, like um, you were gonna do them, like what was that process like for you? A lot of it's subconscious, obviously when you're writing it kind of flows, um, especially when you're in the flow, it kind of comes out. But um, I don't know, I mean like trial and error, um, thinking about my favourite people, um, using references, having mega talented people around me, uh, songwriters, collaborators, musicians who were wonderful um, and, and trusting in that process. You know, there's a huge element of having to let go in order to grab onto what you want, you know? You have 13 incredible tracks on this album. Uh, I love how you mix in those little voice memos throughout the record. Um, it really gives me like old school vibes with like when, you know, growing up, I remember listening to, to records where they would like do little bits and pieces of movies or, or whatever. And that kind of gave me that kind of vibe. Like it's, 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 it's quite a hip hop thing to do actually. Yeah. Like hip hop is fundamentally based in influence and allowing your past, you know, allowing homage to be paid. Um, and and I think that was something I was really, really attracted to when I was putting in the voice memos and, and stuff like that in the record. Yeah. What song out of these 13 tracks would you say that like really challenged you, whether it was vocally, whether it was mentally because you were writing these lyrics or just like at the end of the day? Feet Don't Fail Me Now. Super difficult record to get right. I rewrote the lyrics, like the verse lyrics, like six times. I would have like copious amounts of conversation with my label with my friends with my manager about what the hell i was talking about um because it was a political song but political songs are some of the most challenging songs to write and then the production was the hardest it was the first song we started and the last song we finished yeah 
what was it about the song that you, you knew that it had to be on this record? Like, why couldn't it just be a single or why couldn't it be on a follow-up? Oh, everyone liked it and I wasn't sure about it. So I basically had to prove myself. Yeah, I had to prove myself that I liked it, basically, yeah. and make it into something I liked. When you hit such a like political topic like this song, like, how much research do you do outside of it? Um, just because I feel like it's kind of scary being able to open up about these things if you're unsure of what the truth is, right? So, like, how much research did you find yourself doing before you can actually start writing the song or finalize the song? I mean, I wrote it six times, so I had to do a lot of research. <laughs> there was a lot of crossing things out. Um, and then there's a huge amount of vulnerability in the song because I am admitting defeat. I am admitting that I am this ironic character that I'm playing. I actually suffer from their problems as well you know this is the song is about someone who finds it easier to be part of a group to be part of a, a collective in fear of being cancelled and this was something that I saw so much of during the Black Lives Matter protests and movement throughout 2020 you know as a, especially as a non-black person I think that there was a collective guilt but there was collective as a as a person of color, there was a collective sympathy. Um, you wanted to be an ally, but you also didn't want to be performative, but you also didn't want to be. And I found that, and, it, and it also speaking to, you know, my fellow white friends or black friends or brown friends, there were so many psychological nuances in, in that year that coincided with um, just the generation that we're in, this cancel culture that is coming up and people being so afraid to say anything, so they just, tick all the boxes but their mind doesn't change nothing is decolonized and also they don't put their hands up and I think the first step into being on the right side of history is going I am racist I am sexist I am all of these things fundamentally because I've grown up in the west and admitting defeat first but this song is this character who signs with the petitions who carries the picket signs who poses in wildfires but refuses to actually delve into changing their mind exactly and do something and and that doing something is not the signing of petitions is actually holding themselves accountable and actually we are all guilty of being that person every single one of us even if I am a person of color and I might have shared suffering to one of my black brothers and sisters that doesn't matter I'll never know what that feels like but I also that's fine to admit and that should be a comfortable conversation to have you know um, not that I need to be educated but I think it's important and not that it's anyone's job to educate me it's important to educate myself you know and to and to admit that I am I am scared I am um, scared of cancel culture I am a victim of everything that goes go is happening around me and uh, yeah and I also I didn't want to point the finger because it's not my place to tell people what to do um, it's and that's why the song was so difficult basically I mean all that waffle yeah that's why it was so difficult because I was having all of those conversations over and over again and then going and how do I make that a three and a half minute song that just so happens to be one of the biggest songs on the record yeah. and a pop song I yeah. mean yeah I don't know how you pull yeah, yeah I don't know how you pull like a fucking mosaic basically <laughs> it's like with a prit stick imagine you had to make a mosaic with a prit stick that's how it felt making feet don't fail me now I'd let someone else take the, <laughs> the reins there you go but the whole song is about how I need to hold myself accountable so I had to do it myself <laughs> so the fact that this song was so impactful both like to your audience but also to yourself like just because of everything that went through before you can actually finalize it how did that kind of um, 
change the impact or the direction of like new material moving forward? Do you see yourself talking about more political topics or do you see yourself like just whatever happens, happens? I think that I am starting to notice what I don't have musically, but also what I'm noticing is that political is micro and macro. There is personal political and then there's global political. And I felt like, I felt like once I had that song out of the way, it's kind of opened me into a world where I'm a little bit less scared, ironically. Um, and so, yeah, I think that I might not have right now, I guess there's a lot of personal political in the new stuff that I'm writing. There's just not as much filter, which is ironic because I know people say I'm unfiltered, but imagine me even more unfiltered, I think. I think that's right, no? I'm more unfiltered now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. What do you think it is? Is it like you're working with a new producer? Is it you're working with new like co-writers? Is it like just because of what we experienced the no, last actually, couple of years? The opposite, the opposite. I, um, I purposefully sought for limitation on the second album. I think what happens is people smell success, taste success, digest success, um, have more recognition. Oh, the first album is critically acclaimed. Let me open all these doors. But actually, I don't think you need to fix something if it's not broken. And I'm really, really interested in how we created when we first started creating and Innocence's experience like William Blake. I just want to go back to that innocent place. And I think limitation is key. Yeah. So yeah, basically I've, I've limited myself in order to get that's, to that point if that makes sense yeah. I'm not I mean no one's heard the new music but Absolutely. I'm, I'm trying the to fact speak. Yeah. This, the fact that you're like being more open and more yeah. um, like less more filtered yeah. at I'm, the same time yeah, yeah I'm more <laughs> open but I'm actually way more closed now yeah. yeah I just think that um, you can really get lost in the fireworks and the diamante and the and the crystals and uh, I yeah I'd rather just I'd rather not <laughs> I'd rather just keep the doors closed yeah. and see what happens you know? Yeah. Well, I'm excited for, like, obviously more music from you. Um, but for now, like, I definitely want everyone to dive in and, and, and dissect this album, More Skin, which is out now. Um, to close us off, like, what is, like, one of your proudest moments from this record? Um, I think that I was deeply overwhelmed when I played Pyramid Stage at Glastonbury. Um, it's like one of the most iconic stages in Britain and British music history and to be able to stand there and, and perform my first album was just like wild. I mean I started crying and didn't even know the tears were coming so I was like yeah definitely that this year. Well, I look forward to seeing and hearing more from you. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with me. You guys be sure to check out Joy Crooks. The debut album Skin is out now and thanks for watching here on Front Row Live. Hey, it's Rob again. If you enjoyed this interview, please follow for more and I invite you to head over to my YouTube channel, Front Row Live ENT, where I have thousands of video interviews with my favorite new and established artists. Once again, thank you for tuning in and have a great night.